Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Managing Director, Charts and Data Operations at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Happy Grammy week. Oh, my goodness. We're in full swing, Keith. Grammy hot and heavy. <laughs> it's Grammy, Grammy, who will win? <laughs> um, well, uh, luckily, we'll tell you all about the Grammy Awards, which yes, are this Sunday will. later on in the show, because as always... The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Green Day scores its 12th top 10 charting album on the Billboard 200 with Saviors, nearly 30 years to the week the band made their Billboard chart debut in 1994. Plus, how Benson Boone's Beautiful Things makes a beautiful start on the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart, and how Justin Timberlake, Jennifer Lopez, and Sophie Ellis-Bexter all debut on the Pop Airplay chart with their latest hits. Plus, it's our special Grammy Awards preview episode of the podcast, so we'll be reviewing the nominees in the six general field categories. Six! I guess we can't call them the big four anymore. <laughs> no! Um, and we'll be highlighting who our very own awards out of there, Paul Grine, along with his crack team of advisors on staff at Billboard, thinks will win in each of the categories. And our special guest for the Grammy preview episode is current five-time Grammy nominee and seven-time winner, Mark Ronson. We are so thrilled to talk with Mark all about his nominations for his Barbie soundtrack contributions. Of course, an Oscar nominee as well right now. And so we'll talk about all that and much more. Stick around for that in a moment. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Do we call the big four the sexy six? Oh, please, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. All right. Let's do the chart chat before we get to the sexy six. <laughs> First up on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, Green Day's Saviors starts at number four with 49,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending January 25th. And of that sum, by the way, that's according to Luminate. Of that sum, album sales comprise 39,000, making it the top-selling album of the week. Saviors is the 12th top 10 charting set for Green Day, stretching back to its first chart entry on the list, Dookie, which entered the chart at number 127, a lofty rank, (laughs) on the Billboard 19th 1994 dated list, and eventually peaked at number two in January of 1995. You know, they're touring this year, and they're going to do Dookie. And all of American Idiot. In its Idiot. entirety, yes, as well as American Idiot. Are they doing both albums in the same show? I guess I don't know if they're doing, like, like, alternating. Yeah, that feels like a lot, especially since they have a lot of other hits and new songs from Saviors to squeeze in. Is it just me, or is, like, this whole, like... Uh, tour dedicated to an album thing. Did you two start this with the Joshua Tree tour that was a few years ago? That was you like know, the 30th anniversary of Joshua the Tree? The first time I heard of it, and it's because I'm a huge fan, was Weezer did it with um, Pinkerton. They did it with the Blue Album, too. But like 
Pinkerton was my favorite Weezer album. For a long time, they didn't perform songs from Pinkerton because Rivers didn't love it. Um, and so then it was a big deal when they did the Pinkerton tour and did the entire the album in its entirety. That's the first time I heard of it, and that was before the Joshua Tree tour. Wow. So, But it is a thing. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because so many fans of bands come in at a certain album. And so to be able to hear that album as if it's like their you know debut tour with yeah. that album is like an opportunity not every fan has. Has, and then they get it again with it's, these sort of tours. It's like the ultimate nostalgia exercise. Mm. Well, don't you want to hear the other hits, though? Well, but like... Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll do more. I'm sure Green Day will do more than just those albums. There's something very special about seeing a band's debut tour because they literally, the only material they have is like right. that album. And so, like, you can recreate that kind of magic of yeah. like, of, you know, and not to mention, it's like the songs that people know best. Right. Um, well, meanwhile, 21 Savage's American Dream is steady at number one on the Billboard 200 for a second week. Next up, over on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, Benson Boone's buzzy single, Beautiful Things, debuts at number 15, marking the third chart entry and highest charting song yet for the singer-songwriter. The tune also launches at number two on the digital song sales chart and at number five on the streaming songs chart. The 21-year-old artist initially gained traction on TikTok a few years ago and then auditioned for and withdrew from American Idol. He was eventually signed to Night Street Records, which is the imprint of Imagine Dragons frontman Dan Reynolds, friend of the podcast, who uh, started releasing his music through Warner Records in 2022. That was a lot of great context because I feel like he's one of these guys where people are like, where did he come from? Who the hell is this guy? But I mean, this song is, man, debuting straight in at number 15 is such a flex. It's wild. And our five burning (laughs) questions this week sort of links his, you know, crazy debut to Teddy Swim's getting all the way to the top five with his Mm. album as sort of like this big voiced singer guy, Mm. like, you know, coming in. And I feel like it's making pop radio more interesting, these songs. So more power to them. Uh, Well, and at the top of the Hot 100, Jack Harlow's 11 on Me jumps back to number one, rising two to one for its fourth week in charge. Now the most weeks at number one of any of Harlow's three leaders. Mm -hmm. Last week's number one, Ariana Grande's Yes And falls to number six after debuting atop the list. But still holds at the top of our global charts. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Lastly, over on the pop airplay chart, Justin Timberlake's Selfish starts at number 33. Jennifer Lopez's Can't Get Enough debuts at number 34. And Sophie Ellis Bexter's Saltburn-infused hit Murder on the Dance Floor dances onto the chart at number 36. It's the 33rd hit for Timberlake, the 26th for Lopez, and the first for Ellis Bexter. Love that it's getting radio airplay. And I just have to say for Justin that this song debuted on a Thursday morning. And so Airplay goes, doesn't Pop Airplay go a little longer like than the Hot 100 or is it the exact same? I thought it was long. Doesn't it go into the weekend? No. Oh, it doesn't. Why yeah. did I think that? Uh, okay, yeah. so it's literally one day of airplay. Yeah. Wow. A while ago. Uh, the airplay week changed. Okay, great. Because I remember it used to be yes, slightly staggered. It used to go over the weekend. Okay. All right. Nah, that makes me feel better. Well, it is our Grammy preview episode. So let's talk about the 66th Grammy Awards, which will take place this coming Sunday, February 4th, live on CBS starting at 8 p.m. ET and 5 p.m. Pacific. Coast to coast. You can also watch it on uh, Paramount Plus if you have the Showtime subscription live. That's specific. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just how it is. Okay. Uh, it will be preceded by the Grammy premiere ceremony where the bulk of the awards are announced, which starts at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 12.30 Pacific. I'll be seated 
for that premiere ceremony. Are, oh, I'm in charge of the winners list. So, are you, are you like in the press room? Not at that this point? year. No. I'm. We we have a colleague in the press room, but um, I will be just at my home. Oh, okay. I thought yes. when you said seated, I'm like, are you going to be inside we'll the be room? We'll be seated for the live stream, just like the rest of oh, you. Okay. You're literally <laughs> watching the live stream from home. Got it. Billboard actually has our own pre-show, Grammy pre-show as well. So tune in on Sunday morning for that. You can find that on Billboard's social accounts. Cool. Uh, and I'm part, part of it. I was going to say you're a part of it. <laughs> of course I am. That's Yay. why. So I'm plugging it. Why do you think I'm plugging it? Um, well, leading the nominations this year is SZA with nine nods, including Record and Song of the Year for Kill Bill and Album of the Year for SOS. Other major contenders include Phoebe Bridgers, Victoria Monet, Serban Ganea, Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff, Olivia Rodrigo, Billie Eilish, Miley Cyrus, John Baptiste, and Brandi Clark. We should probably mention Phoebe's own group, Boy Genius, as well. They're up there uh, in those numbers. Uh, performers announced for the show as of this recording There are, could be more this morning. Yeah, I mean, we just found out SZA's recording. So we've got SZA, Olivia Rodrigo, Billie Eilish, Dua Lipa, U2, Billy Joel, Joni Mitchell, Burna Boy, Travis Scott, and Luke Combs. Pretty stacked. It's very stacked. A lot, I mean... The perfect current pop stars mixed with the, with the legends. legends that we haven't seen perform in a long time. Joni F. and Mitchell's never performed on the Grammys. Never performed on the Grammys. And then Billy Joel, we know, is returning with this new song Which on we Friday. Have well, yeah, well, it comes out this— But it comes out before the Grammy ceremony. It comes out February 1st, 1st. So it comes out this Friday. Thursday. Oh, thir- yeah, that's right. right? Thursday. Thursday, February 1st. Essentially performing a brand new song, his first pop song in decades. But maybe he'll pull out, like, a Grammy-winning song, too. Who knows? <laughs> Uptown girl mixed with. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, uh, Trevor Noah, who is a current nominee this year for Best Comedy Album, will host the Grammys for a fourth consecutive year. So let's take a look at the Sexy Six category. Oh, yeah. Is it worth that I have this raspy voice? To talk sexy about six. The Sexy Six um, in the general field. And who Paul Grine, on the advisement of his unnamed three Billboard colleagues, which am I allowed to name myself? I think I'm involved in this. Oh, you are? Yeah. I, I mean, wasn't sure. I was very informally pulled by him via Slack. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, he um, did, he Maybe didn't... it's not me. Maybe I'm not one of the three that he actually listened to, but uh, I did talk to him. Uh, well, he, he, put, he, put, he didn't name them in his story. Well, so you funny. just outed yourself. Well, I outed myself. That's fine. Um, we can let the people Scoop. know. Uh, and the categories are Album of the Year, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Best New Artist, Producer of the Year Non-Classical, and the new, uh, as of last year, Songwriter of the Year category. So let's start with Record of the Year, Keith. Uh, do you want me to read the nominees? Let's do it. Okay, the nominees are John Batiste's Worship, Boy Geniuses, Not Strong Enough, Miley Cyrus's Flowers, Billie Eilish's What Was I Made For, Victoria Monet's On My Mama, Olivia Rodrigo's Vampire, Taylor Swift's Antihero, and SZA's Kill Bill. And as a reminder, this particular category is an award for the artist and it's kind of like the production the team. Recording the of recording of the song. Not Whereas Song of the Year is actually a uh, award for the songwriters. And Correct. the nominees aren't, like, if something is nominated in both Record and Song of the Year, they won't necessarily share the nominees because you can write a song but not necessarily produce it or sing it. Right. And so there was some agreement among Paul's crack team of advisors in this category. Uh, two said Miley Cyrus's Flowers. One went with Taylor Swift's Antihero. And Paul's predicted winner is? Uh, Antihero. You know, it, it feels like... It feels like it will probably win. I I and, didn't vote for Antihero. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> I love Taylor Swift. Let's just preface it with that. I 
want Miley Cyrus's flowers to win this personally. I think on paper, either one of those makes sense. And I think Taylor Swift has never won record of the year. Has she won song of the year? I don't know. Let's find out. All right. I just went through her entire Grammy history, and she's not won record or song of the year before, which is wild. And I think Paul was kind of thinking, you know, she's considered to be like the songwriter of her generation and yet, you know, has not won either of those awards. By the way, per wiki, Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift is the most nominated songwriter in the song of the year category with seven nominations. She's yet to win. Never won. So that kind of also, I don't know, I don't, I doubt any voters are really thinking about that. I don't know if Grammy voters think that way. I literally think they think of in the context of like right now, but there have, there have been some, you know, seeming makeup calls. I think sometimes where somebody wins for something after they had a really deserving thing that didn't win. I feel like there is a little bit of that. I don't know. Should we move on to Song of the Year, though, uh, where Taylor is also a contender? I, yeah, I will say, I think the last thing is that for this, Flowers, Antihero, and Kill Bill, I think all have a path to mm-hmm. winning because all of them seemed like very much like they were an extended pop culture moment that like lasted for like months. Sure. Especially Flowers. But um, it's so hard to have that kind of ubiquitous song Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to do that and it takes a lot of craft technique and artistry to make that happen and the right time and right place so i think any of those three could ostensibly win yes Uh, but watch john batista win and this is also (laughs) uh it's interesting to note that's also miley's first time ever having big four nominations really Um, yeah for as long as she's been around yeah, not even best new artist and not nominated? wrecking ball. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this is her first recognition in the big four. That's just nuts. Yeah, but moving on to song of the year, um, the nominees are uh, Lana. I'm just going to say the artists for these ones, even though there's a lot of songwriters listed. We have Lana Del Rey's A and W. We have Taylor Swift's Antihero, John Batiste's Butterfly, Dua Lipa's Dance the Night co-written by our guest today, Mark Ronson. We have Miley Cyrus's Flowers. We have SZA's Kill Bill, Olivia Rodrigo's Vampire, and Billie Eilish's What Was I Made For? So a lot of overlap between Record of the Year and Song of the Year, but yes. not completely. What What does Paul think is going to win here? Well, he says his advisors are are split again. Oh. This time we have Were two they, predicting... Two predicting Billy and Phineas uh, winning, uh, and then one going for Taylor Swift's antihero. So, Paul's predicted winner is Billy Eilish's What Was I Made For, co written by Billy and Phineas. Um, and he says, if not that, he's thinking either antihero or flowers. So, again, it's kind of a revolving door of the same contenders between those two categories. We'll see where the chips fall. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to Best New Artist? Let's. Uh, the nominees are. Gracie Abrams, Fred Again, Ice Spice, Jelly Roll, Coco Jones, Noah Kahn, Victoria Monet, and The War in Treaty. Paul's uh, brain trust is split again. Oh, this brain trust, man. <laughs> Two went with Noah Kahn, one went with Victoria Monet, but Paul's prediction is Noah Kahn. Stick, it'll be stick season on Sunday. You know, I feel like, <laughs> um, like Noah is so... Like, literally, like, peaking, exploding right as the Grammys are happening. And in the Grammy sweet spot, too. Right. You know, because 
We've Singer, talked about this a lot. Yeah, we've talked about how folky, all folky. the different genres and all the all the voters they're coming from lots of different places. They they do respect somebody who's writing their own music, play some instruments, somebody a little more stripped down than uh, you know might be mainstream. So I that's it feels like a pretty solid guess. Um, and Paul says if not Noah, then he's also thinking uh, Victoria Monet has a shot or country star Jelly Roll. Frankly, this is a really I mean, not that any year of Best New Artist nominees is like, oh, they're crappy. But this year feels particularly great. It feels like a really nice, well-rounded, solid bunch of, like, new artists that are really, like, breaking through in a big way in the past year. Yes, and I feel like the year, for instance, that Olivia Rodrigo won, it was so obvious she was going to win, whereas the year Billie Eilish won, she went up against Lizzo, and it wasn't a guarantee. So, you know, this one has a little more mystery to it. Um, Then we get to one of the two categories that now exist in the general field. So we call the big we call the general field the big four because historically there were four categories in this record of the year, song of the year, album of the year and best new artist. I think starting this year, they rearranged everything. And now the general field includes six categories and the two new categories are producer of the year non-classical and songwriter of the year non-classical. So does let's start. Does that mean, just one question, does yep. that mean those two will be on the main telecast for the first time? Not necessarily. I'm just asking because I know producer of the year as, again, our guest Mark Ronson has previously won, and you can watch his adorable little video from 2008 of him definitely uh, doing it in the pre-tell ceremony. I seriously doubt. This is just, and I'm. this is no shade to any of the people nominated in these. I don't think the producers of the television broadcast mm-hmm. who have to basically pick like nine awards or yeah. ten awards to give out, I doubt they will pick producer or song. But they'll probably salute them in the show and say. I was going to say, this will be the first time that one of the general field categories has not been announced in the show then if they don't say producer or songwriter. But go ahead and tell us who is nominated for producer of the year, non-classical, Keith. All right. So for producer of the year, non-classical, the nominees are Jack Antonoff, DeMille, Hit Boy, Metro Boomin, and Dan Nigro. All right, so what do we think Paul thinks about this category? Uh, well, um, first of all, it's the fifth nomination in a row for Antonoff. Like, let's just say that, that in a row. But he's won before, right? Yeah, okay. he has. And this year's interesting because he has multiple nominations in the Sexy Six because <laughs> of his work with both Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey. Mm. So I think uh, the reason why Paul gives Jack the edge to win this year, this is Paul's predicted winner, is because of that work across multiple artists, not only across multiple artists, but like up in the top fields. Right. You know, okay. whereas... Nigro, everything's exclusively um, Olivia Rodrigo. That's nominated. Uh, he also did work. Um, oh gosh, I'm gonna forget her name. Uh, Chapel Roan. Do you know mm. that? Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't have any big nominations. Whereas, like, so it's all based on Olivia Rodrigo. And then we have Demile, who I believe what was his work. Oh, he because of his work with Victoria Monet. Victoria Monet. So again, I think it's that range for Jack Antonoff that is going to give him the edge. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, Paul also notes that Antonoff won in each of the last two years. And if he wins again, he would become only the second producer to win in three consecutive years following Babyface, who won in 1995, 96, and 97. Last year's Grammy guest. That's right. Friend of the podcast, Babyface. All right. So moving on to Songwriter of the Year, non-classical. The nominees are Edgar Barrera, Jesse Joe Dillon, Shane McAnally, Theron Thomas and Justin friend of, Tranter. Friend of the podcast, Another Justin Tranter. Friend of the podcast. Um, okay, so 
This is the first nomination in the category for all five of these songwriters. However, so that's this is cool. only the second year that I know, categories exist. Still, the fact that there's no overlap is pretty cool, and a whole new batch of people get this um, honor. Uh, so Paul's predicted winner here is friend of the podcast, Justin Tranter. And if uh, Justin does not win this, Paul is thinking Theron Thomas or Shane McAnally. So I guess we will wait and we will see. Hmm. And finally, album of the year. Okay, I'll read out these nominations. We've got John Baptiste, World Music Radio, Boy Geniuses, The Record, Miley Cyrus's Endless Summer Vacation, Lana Del Rey's Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard, Janelle Monae's The Age of Pleasure, Olivia Rodrigo's Guts, Taylor Swift's Midnight's, and SZA's S.O.S. Okay, so Paul again surveyed three Billboard colleagues, and he says they're all super smart and plugged in. <laughs> now that I've outed myself. <laughs> You're so plugged in, Katie. Paul's going to be like... Why did you even say anything? Um, anyway, in this category, they gave three different answers. That's wild. Mm-hmm. So uh, the three answers were Taylor Swift, SZA, and Boy Genius to win this category. So what did Paul pick? Oh, uh, well, let me scroll down and find out. Um, predicted winner, Paul says SZA. And if not SZA, then Taylor or Boy Genius. Sounds like Paul went with my prediction. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to say we have all been burned before by thinking that the album that has a really great Should shot, actually win? Uh, well, I think... These are a, all great. I think a lot of people thought that Beyonce's Renaissance was going to win last year. And Harry Styles' Harry's House did instead. So I'm fully expecting that Taylor Swift is going to win for Midnight's. Oh. Or, frankly... John Batiste will win. Well, he did win album of the year when he was up for it. What was that? Two or three years ago. And two, people two were stunned by that. Yeah. And and he he like as you noted before, like oh the Grammys like love people who can play instruments. They love yep. musicians. They love singers. They love writers. And I think there could be some vote splitting here, and there will be a surprise. You you know what else the Grammys seem to love? They seem to love like introducing someone like making a star out of someone and that's what they did with John Patisse like literally put him on a different plane it was the biggest example in recent history of like an album that you're getting like a bump from the Grammys because it had room to bump whereas Renaissance wouldn't have if it had won the Grammy last year or whatever but I'm saying that because John Batiste got his Grammy bump. So are they going to move on to somebody that we don't know? This is not how this is not how a voting body thinks. They do not think as like one organism. I do think they think about introducing artists, though, like Samara Joy winning Best New Artist last year. I I don't think they think anything. I just think that they're (laughs) thousands of people. They're just these people are just picking their favorite, and I think it's really just a matter of the demographics and the numbers and how many people are going to generally like across the very varied. Uh, ages mm-hmm. and interests and uh, professions of people that are voting in the academy, mm-hmm. what do they appreciate? Mm-hmm. And I think you have to go for something that is an across-the-board crowd pleaser. Well, if John Baptiste wins on Sunday, like, all hail Keith for calling this one, because I would once again be surprised. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be Taylor or John. And it's interesting. I, I don't, I just want, I just think we should all be prepared for SZA not to win. Oh man, oh. Let's, we just we should just know how this works by now. Yeah, we should. Yeah. We should. Well, 
Should we move on to our interview with Mark Ronson? Yes, and as a reminder, the Grammys are this Sunday, February 4th. Tune in and watch Katie on our pre-show. There you go. Uh, well, we have Mark Ronson back on the podcast. We first spoke with him uh, when he was nominated for a Golden Globe for working on Shallow with Lady Gaga from A Star is Born. And we have him back on with more incredible movie music that is getting more and more accolades. So he is nominated five times this year for his work on the Barbie soundtrack, including a Song of the Year nomination for Dua Lipa's Dance the Night. We talked with Mark about getting his recent Oscar nomination for I'm Just Ken. Uh, we also talked about, you know, the genesis of the song and how it came to be. And I was delighted to ask him about that because I find it fascinating how basically, uh, well, a production number came kind of from the mind of Mark Ronson. Yes, a full marketing campaign basically yep, came top. from his lyrics. <laughs> uh, and we also talked to Mark about, you know, maybe some Grammy memories of the past and, uh, you know. Uh, Including a potentially petrifying story about when he won record of the year with Amy Winehouse. So oh my goodness. Definitely yes. stay tuned for that one. Um, but it was just such a delight to have him on. He is a seven time Grammy winner. So he's the perfect person to be our special guest on this Grammy preview episode. So please enjoy our interview with Mark Ronson. I'm just kidding. Anywhere else I'd be Is it my destiny to live and die? Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast, Mark Robinson. So first off, congratulations on your Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song for I'm Just Ken from Barbie. And though we know that you've won the Oscar before, it must always feel pretty special anytime you're honored by the Academy, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah, it's it's crazy because obviously in our field of music, we would have to say the Grammys is, is the highest honor. What's so crazy is that there's this award that's sort of like the most prestigious award in the world that gives out one award for music. So it's so crazy because, yeah, the odds and everything. And, you know, I don't believe that it means that your song is better than somebody else's song or any of that stuff. But of course, it's it is amazing. You know, we work so hard on this film and for a long time and also on the score and everything because we loved it not because we were like okay we better get an oscar nomination but it is it is nice to be recognized for for the for work for sure um you know i'm just ken is one of uh two barbie songs nominated for best original song this year at the oscars joining what was i made for by billy and phineas um, it's not often that a film generates multiple nominations for Best Original Song. Barbie stands alongside other multi-song nominees, such as La La Land and Footloose and Flashdance and The Lion King. So great company. Barbie had another song in contention this year specifically on the shortlist. Um, but the Academy rules state that no more than two songs from any one film can be nominated. So it, it must have been bittersweet, I suppose, that... Um, Dance the Night couldn't get nominated this year. And I mean, or, or any of the other songs, frankly, from yeah. the movie couldn't get nominated. Yeah, it is. And it seems like um, I don't know how they even pick what the what the two are. But um, it is because, you know, do a do a song was is still the biggest song from the, you know, the soundtrack. And Dua was really the first artist. Of, the, of anywhere near a statue that committed to the film. So it was almost like once we knew that we had a Dua song that was going to be in this big thing, it really set the bar for what the whole soundtrack could be. So Dua really, really did set, 
you know, she really did like her being like, I'm down with this and writing this incredible song was what what made got us all excited. Like, wow, this really could be something where there feels like this superstar level of musicians and singers and, and pop stars on it. So Dua definitely deserves all the credit for that. And, you know, it would have been lovely to have her as well. So it's, you know, it is a it is a it is a shame. Well, and switching gears to another award ceremony um, at this weekend's Grammys, four of the five songs uh, in the best song written for visual media category are from Barbie. So um, actually, Keith found a really fun fact about the movie having four of the of the five nods. Well, well, I don't know if you knew this, Mark, because Katie and I certainly didn't until today. But uh, no film or project has ever had four out of the five nominations in this category at the Grammys until Barbie. So wow. did, did you know that? <laughs> yeah, I think my mom Googled it the day that the nominations came out. <laughs> I love she was, it. She was very, she was very proud. No, I did. I didn't. And, and the other thing is that, you know, the, the Grammy categories for film and TV, you know, and there's so many great songs from TV shows. And, you know, there's like, I think of all the, the murders in the building songs and everything else. Like there were some real moments for songs. And so, um, yeah, it's it's crazy that Barbie took up so many, but then again, you know, the Nikki and Ice Spice song, even though it's not eligible for the Oscar because it it has like a previous loop or you know it has the Aqua thing in it, that was just as important a song in a way, you know, because we knew that with Nikki and her fans being called the Barb's and everything, as soon as I had been brought in for the soundtrack, I was like, I. I there's no way in hell that I that, that we can have this soundtrack without a Nikki song on it. And then the fact that Ice just became like her meteoric rise, like the entire time that the um that, that, that we were even just working on the soundtrack from when we first like got her involved. So um yeah, it's every I feel like every slot's deserving, but it is crazy that there's four songs on there. When Barbie was announced and that the soundtrack was coming, I'm like if Aqua's Barbie Girl is not part of this film in some fashion, yes. it doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, but at the same time, we know there's a lot of history there. So yes. that, that was amazing. So thank you for making that it, happen. It was, those were the, actually, that was a double-sided, that you're exactly right. The two thoughts were like, there's no world in which we can't have Nikki and that we can't have some version of Aqua, you know? So we were always thinking, is it a cover? Is it some, an interesting flip? And then, the Nikki and Ice just came through with the and with Riot's beat and just handled the whole thing for us. And in that category, um, the one non-Barbie song is Rihanna. Do we feel like her Black Panther song is gonna like sneak in as Barbie like splits all the votes and everyone picks their personal favorite Barbie song? Or I mean, Rihanna's formidable competition too. I mean, she is. She, I mean, who like it is? It is. Rihanna can do anything she wants, so <laughs> can't take anything for granted. In in Barbie, so much of the of the music is integrated into the film seamlessly. You know, where the music really helps propel the story forward, from Lizzo's Pink and Dua's Dance the Night to you know Billy's What Was I Made For, and of course I'm Just Ken. I read that I'm Just Ken was one of the first songs uh, written for the movie, and I'm wondering, did the original script have a sequence slotted in it? like earmarked in it for an I'm just kin like moment. And then no. you just kind of ran with it or did it kind of do the, did it go the other way around? You wrote the song and then they created yeah. it around it. 
Yeah, all we knew was that there was there was never anything in the script. There was never a, a notion that not, Ryan was going to sing. There was just when when I was first enlisted, Greta was like, "We need a Barbie song, this big dance number, and we need also a Ken song." Like, that was so, it. Song that, that, that was all they said that we want a dance sequence, which is the duo moment, and then we want a Ken song. That's all. Yeah. That was the entire yeah. goal. They were like, "If we're going to have something for Barbie, that we need something that speaks maybe from Ken's." point of view so you know that's the amazing thing about this film you know it definitely is like a a story like driven by women but there is this wonderful little like offshoot of this story of canon whether it's like you know it's just like a story of just like uh somebody who's not as smart or as enlightened as barbie like trying to find their self-worth and value so that message was always pretty strong, even if it was underlying in the film. So I just had an idea of that was what the song should be. And I had that idea for the first line of the chorus. I'm just Ken anywhere else. I'd be a 10 like this idea that like this person's just in the wrong place in time for him. Like and the person he loves the most is never going to love him back. And then, you know, through the song for them to find a little bit more of their own value. Um, but um yeah, and I played Greta the demo and she just really flipped out over it. And then she said that she played it for Ryan and that he really dug it and that he wanted to sing the song. So it was so crazy because, you know, I Greta and Noah, like to me, they're sort of comic geniuses and they're so great with words. And I was like, wow, they like our words enough that they they like basically putting up our dialogue with theirs at this moment in in the film. And um I've spoken to Ryan since and he he's told me stories like, yeah, before the song, like maybe I was going to have like a dance off with this, like invisible, like this white mink. And we were just going to have this dance off and that was it. And then Greta was like, I got this song from Mark. That's pretty good. Like maybe we'll just use that instead. So I'm sure, I think that there would have been a dream ballet and those kind of things. I think that was in Greta's mind, but yeah, we just, um, I think I just felt so much for all these characters. There was such a wealth of inspiration at all times, but yeah, it was crazy when they were, they put the whole song in the movie, especially cause you know, I guess we sort of, we really love the movie. And like, what if we ruin the movie? Like what if it gets <laughs> up to this point and this crazy song comes in? Um, because it's such a big, it's it's a big swing. What Greta did, you know, the dream ballet, all of it, the battle. Um, it's it's kind of hard to think of the movie maybe without it now because it really does like let him have this moment. But I'm sure the movie would have been amazing. I think what else was crazy too is that we had written the whole song and then she, Greta had come up with the whole dream ballet part. Um, and then she was like, well, I need one more section. For, you know, and so we wrote the music to the, we didn't have the words yet for the, can you see Kennedy? We just had the music. And then we saw the footage of them dancing across the screen and everything. And that's like when the word Kennedy just kind of came to us. We're like, these Kens, like thousands of Kens, like flying across the screen, like, um, and that's how it sort of came. And I, I do believe that Kennedy, like, I think Ryan invented it and all we did was put a name to it. And I'm sure some clever journalist would have come up with it by now if we hadn't. But um, yeah, that was just the, that was just the thing. And then when the, um, when we saw the, 
first marketing campaign, like she's everything. He's just Ken. We were like, wow, they're really doubling down on this song. You know, <laughs> they're making it part of the whole thing. But I think it was great because then when the song did finally come, everybody had already seen a billion memes that said he's just Ken in it. Like it was a very interesting way that the the, the whole things like kind of played off each other. Well, with how well I'm just Ken was received, uh, do you think you can convince Ryan Gosling to record more music with you in the future? Perhaps a whole album? <laughs> I mean, we definitely had a lot of fun, especially making the Christmas version that we did because we had made the the record and then I the first one, I recorded a vocal with him and then I probably hadn't spoken to him for about a year till I, you know, the movie was wrapping up and I was like, hey, we finished the version. Actually, Slash is playing on it. And I just want to make sure you're happy with it before we mix it. And he he really loved it. And then we um, we started to talk over the past couple of months and we were just talking about the things and different kind of music and things that he loved and Scott Walker and these stuff. And I was like, well, we should do a version of Ken that just does something a little different, like a different uh, arrangement, of course, because, you know, there was a lot of talk like the 80s power ballad and this. And I mean, it has all those things. But I think some of my pride as a, you know, songwriter, I wanted to prove that it wasn't just that. Um, so Ryan had a lot of like. A great. He's got amazing tastes and great ideas and he's extremely funny and talented musician and singer. So we made this version and then we started to, to hang and definitely I would love to make more music. You know, I think it would be great. And we've we've talked about it a little bit. Love that. Um, you know, since this is our Grammy preview episode, we were wondering, uh, do you remember like what what was the first Grammy Awards you attended? Was it when you were first nominated in 2008 or um, for your work with Amy Winehouse, or had it been previous to that? Oh, no, I was a seat filler because oh. I wanted to write about it. I wrote and reviewed concerts from my high school paper. Um, my mom would only let me go to shows. She was like, super strict if I was like, if I if if I could convince her it was something to do with school. So I got this job writing for the paper who definitely didn't need like a music reviewer, but I convinced them. And it was this like paper called City News. Uh, that was like for high school kids, like uh, like a bunch of different schools. So yeah, I got into the Grammys by being a seat filler. And I remember like, you know, you're sitting all over the place. At one point I was in front of Vanilla Ice. At the other moment I was sitting next to that singer, Alana Miles, who, had, who won yeah. that year for Black Velvet. Um, yeah, so there was that. And then I went with my friend Rhymefest, a rapper who co-wrote Jesus Walks. I went with him as his plus one in like 2000 three or whenever that was. And then and then the next time I went was with for Amy. I just wanted to talk about that 2008 year for a second, because, you know, it was a huge night for you. You won producer of the year and record of the year with Amy. Um, and it was your first Grammys as a nominee. So I wonder, like, do you remember what was going through your mind that night? You know, everything obviously has worked out quite well for you, like 16 years later. But did it feel a little intimidating to have to follow up that that sort of success at your first Grammys? I mean, it was so crazy. I mean, I remember it really well. I took my mom. Um, and I remember when they read my name for producer of the year, it was such a blur that it was like the movie, like my friend, Rich, my best friend was nudging me and going, they said your name, like go, <laughs> like it was such a, I went up um, and it was just so surreal. and. 
I, I was sitting there and me and my mom were behind Tony Bennett and at the main ceremony. And I think I was like actually a little bit hungover because I was like enjoying myself that weekend, my first time at the rodeo. And uh, they came up to me before they announced record of the year, the cameras, they want to make sure like, is, are you Mark Ronson? Like, just in case you win, like they've got the camera on you. And and so when they read, they said, you know, in the Grammy for record of the year goes to rehab for Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse. And so I got up to walk towards the stage because I figured like, so that's why the guy's filming me. And as I start to walk up the first few steps, this giant screen starts to get lowered with, and it's Amy live from Camden to accept the award. And I suddenly realized like, oh my God, I'm going to look like such an idiot just standing there next to this screen. So I try to like, as subtly as possible, like reverse step, like down the stairs, like in front of everybody in the wherever the Staples Center. And, uh, and I kind of fell backwards into, uh, I just sat like at the feet of Amber Rose and Kanye for like <laughs> 10 minutes while Amy spoke. And I just said like, sorry guys, I'll, I'll be out of your hair in a minute. But it was like a very Zoolander moment. <laughs> That's so incredible and also terrifying all at the same time. Oh my yeah. god! Oh my, oh my god! I literally, um, I just rewatched the video of her accepting. So I was gonna, I was like, oh no, wait! I know how this acceptance went, and Mark was yeah. not not there. No, no, no. Oh, it was funny, man. and of course, like that was a big night. Like I did have. You know, when the nominations are involved, of course, I had like fantasy of like me and Amy being there together through the whole yeah. night. And, yeah. Um, but, you know, she was in London and she did her thing. Well, you've obviously kept very busy with this film, um, but have you had time to possibly work on a follow up album to 2019's Late Night Feelings, Mark? I've just started and um, I I've been writing a book about uh, DJing and specifically about DJing in clubs and hip hop clubs in the nineties in New York city. And it's a little bit about that time, you know, it's a mini memoir, but it's also about the art of DJing. And maybe some of that art is a little bit bygone now because, you know, it's, you don't walk into places and turntables and mixer everywhere. So it's a bit, it's a kind of about all those things and just about a really great time because it was this moment where, um, Jay-Z and Biggie and Puff sort of started to come out in downtown New York and it suddenly changed the whole thing of like where people wanted to be and where people wanted to hang out. And because I was their DJ, I was like just had a kind of, you know, front row seat to it all in some ways. But so I'm writing that book and then I'm sure that that book will influence this record a little bit. Like uh, I'm sure it'll have a little bit of uh remind me of that era but yeah so that's 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 where i'm at with it you could do a soundtrack to the book yeah it's kind of like i think it's not going to be doing straight like covers of Aaliyah songs but certainly <laughs> influenced by that stuff do you yeah. think that will also influence the collaborators you team up with for it as well like maybe either like veterans or rookies who can kind of channel that you know vibe It'll probably be a little bit of both knowing me because I just I love everybody's energy. But I think that it would be really interesting to like the new generation because that stuff, especially that 90s sound in the. I don't know the energy of that, like I hear that in so many current artists today, like R&B and stuff. So, yeah. 
Cool. Well, finally, um, you know, you have a pretty impeccable film track record now after co-writing Shallow with Lady Gaga and now your Barbie soundtrack work. Um, do you expect to do even more film work now or or how do you approach, you know, choosing films versus choosing to work with your your own music or to collaborate with other artists at this point? I I do I loved working on Barbie and it, and the, and the same thing with Shallow even though we only did one song for that film um when the script is so inspiring it's like being with an incredible artist like just the ideas just flow uh flow out of you which is lovely and then you know definitely like what Bradley Cooper did with Shallow like the way he put it into the script made you fall in love with that song even more and I feel like that's how Greta made a lot of people feel about a lot of the songs in in this film so I have really enjoyed working on it and will probably do more yeah very cool well thank you so much for your time and congratulations on all the you know accolades well-deserved accolades for the Barbie work and and uh, good luck at the Grammys this weekend thanks so much bye all right. Thank you so much to Mark for chatting with us. He is so fun to talk to. I mean, this man has touched a lot of different pop culture. We even were surprised to find out, looking back at his history while researching, that he co-wrote and co-produced Nika Costa's Like a Feather. Yeah, from and, and a lot of the Everybody Got Their Something album, yeah. which is a great album. And that's an amazing song. Yeah. And so it, this man's been around for a long time and, and has stories for days. That was like 2001, yeah. I'm going to say. And we, I think the world at large, mostly discovered him when he produced for Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. That's when he got his first Grammy nominations. And that was at the Grammys in 2008 for his work in 2007. So yeah, to hear that he had that going on. And then he also told us about that book he's writing about the you know DJing and hip hop clubs in the 90s. And and I, and I pitched the idea of doing a soundtrack to it, so hopefully I get a cut of that. There you go. You're always you're always planting seeds on the podcast. Look, I got my fingers <laughs> in lots of pies. I've got to make it work here. Well, but anyway, I love Mark. If you've listened to this podcast over the last however many years, you hear me talking about Mark Ronson all the time. So love to have him on the, on the show. We also talked to him on Zoom. I mean, we, we don't have video for you, but we saw him, and I think he was in his studio. I think yeah, he might have been like in a home studio situation. He's currently recording things. Literally doing something. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now it's time for the chart set of the week. Katie, which of these winners of the Grammy for Record of the Year did not hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100? Mm. Your choices are, and we uh, I went uh, four decades in a row to kind of keep it uh, old, but, you know, not too new. So okay. maybe you might not actually know the answer. Your choices are Frank Sinatra's Strangers in the Night in 1967, Olivia Newton-John's I Honestly Love You in 1975, Toto's Rosanna in 1983, I can really hold a note, <laughs> and, or Phil Collins' Another Day in Paradise in 1991. Which of those winners for Record of the Year did not hit number one on the Hot 100? Once again, I do not know the answer oh, to this. Oh, yeah. Um, and I took notes because sometimes you have the options in front of me, but not today. So um, I'm going to go with Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Nope, hit number one. Oh my gosh. I thought that might be like a trick question because it was such a big song. <sighs> Olivia Newton John. Nope, hit number Phil one. Phil Collins. 
No. Toto. I, so I just did backed into the right answer. You got the right answer it's at the very obviously end. Toto's Rosanna, inspired by Rosanna <laughs> or Arquette, the 1983 hit. Well, it was an incredibly, well, it was, I. It was I, a 1983 Grammy winner. Yeah, it went, so the, the years I noted were the Grammy Awards year. Okay. But I do think Rosanna was peaking at the beginning of 1983. It hit number two mm. on the Hot 100, so mm. real close. Did Africa hit number one? It. I believe it did. Okay. Well, why don't we check? <laughs> I believe that what is their what number one. Hold the line. <laughs> no. Love that song. <laughs> Man, that is an impeccably produced and performed I lo- song. I love that song. Hold the line. One number one hit for our friends in Toto, Africa. and that one number one hit is Africa, as one would imagine. You bless the rains down in Africa. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, there's our chart set of the week. A little look back at uh, Grammy Award winners for Record of the Year on the Hot 100 chart. We've reached the end of our big show. Um, Hold the Line was number five, by the way. Eight. Toto also <laughs> was nominated, I think, that year for Best New Artist. Oh, wow. And I want to, I, oh, I don't know mm. if Hold the Line was nominated for something, but it might have been. But I don't think, I'm not sure if Toto won Best New Artist. I was just going to say, they let's find out. They might have. I see a Maybe nomination. They, lost to like, they probably lost to like a Taste of Honey or something. Ooh, we got we to gotta find out now. One moment. Hold, please. Hold the line. Yeah, hold the hold the line. Uh, Love isn't always on time. Well, oh, if it was 1983, was it 1983? No, no it wasn't. No, they, that Gosh, hold the line it. was like 1977 or 78, and that's. Well, when I they, need to know this now. That's when they would have been nominated for best new artist. Okay, we are going to the 1970s. We are time traveling to the 1970s to discover whether. Got it. They did not win oh, who, in 1979. Who were the other nominees that didn't win and l- end it with who won? Great. Well, let me start. I'll start with Chris Ray. Ooh, then we'll go to Elvis Costello. Oh, well, that's... And then we'll go to The Cars. Oh, wow. And finally, the winner was A Taste of Honey. <gasps> it was the year mm-hmm. A Taste of Honey won. Mm-hmm. Boogie, oogie, oogie. <laughs> Get down. <laughs> um, oh, I love Best New Artist. It's so chaotic. Oh, it's so... <laughs> Remember the year that it was... Was it Nicki Minaj, Justin, Justin Bieber. Bieber? Who else was nominated? And I know who won. Uh, Drake. And who was the? Who? Oh, well, Nicki wasn't nominated. It was the year after that Nicki was nominated. So Justin Bieber, Drake, Florence and the Machine, and Mumford and Sons all lost to. Was it Esperanza Spalding? It was Esperanza Spalding. Was Nicki did lose Best New Artist the next year oh, who to else? Bon Iver. Who else was nominated? That year? The band Perry, J Cole, and Skrillex. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man. Yeah. All right. We've reached the end of our big show. Um, um, thank you again to Mark Ronson. Yes. Um, tune in to the Grammy Awards this Sunday. Uh, what song should we go out on, Katie? Oh, my gosh. Um, should we go out on a, on a Mark Ronson song? Uptown Funk? Should, like, I, I think we can dig a little deeper than Uptown Funk, can't we? Didn't that win Record of the Year? Um, <laughs> it sure did. Okay. He's actually won Record of the Year not just for Amy and Uptown Funk. There was one other, too. Oh, there were other nominations. He he also um, produced on uh, uh, Locked Out of Heaven but for Bruno, which I didn't realize. Oh. Did you know that? No. Yeah, didn't. when I was looking at his history, I was like, oh. Do, do, do you want to go out on Like a Feather? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could. We just <laughs> you, talk you about You tell it. me. I'm trying to find the perfect oh, one. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, why did I give you this power? Um, Gosh. Okay, I'm going to choose from... <laughs> it's like a, a seven-minute build-up. Okay, I, because I became a huge Mark Ronson fan with his album version, which was his second album, okay. I'm going to go with Oh My God featuring Lily Allen, which was such a good song. 
All right. Love that song. Let's oh my, do it. We're going to go out on Oh My God from Mark Ronson featuring This is Lillian. not Usher's OMG. Not to be, We'll talk about him next week for the Super Bowl. This is Oh My God. Bye. Bye. Bye.